Hello, you're listening to Breakfast Bites, and I'm Felicia King. On today's show, we're going to talk about the print nightmare attack. And if I have any time left, we'll talk about the Kaseyev breach. And uh, if I don't have enough time for that, then I'll just do another show on that. So uh, let's get started on print nightmare. What the heck was this all about? Well, first off, print nightmare was a pretty serious vulnerability that would, in an unpatched or unmitigated way, allow for complete and total system takeover. So that's pretty darn serious. So the challenge that existed is that, I mean, first off, you have to understand that vulnerabilities exist and then at some point in time, an application software vendor learns that this vulnerability exists, and then they decide when they're going to patch that, and then it actually gets released, and then somebody has to uh, deploy that patch. So what I just described to you there was a hideously long period of time. In some cases, vulnerabilities go unpatched for more than a decade. Yeah, let that sink in for a second. Sometimes more than a decade. There are actually vulnerabilities that I could point to that were open for two decades. So this is where you have to have a completely different paradigm. The paradigm cannot be, oh, you know, we're just going to install patches. Yes, you should install patches, but first and foremost, you have to prevent the vulnerability from being exploited. The main reason for this paradigm that you must have is because it you will never have a scenario where all applications on all the computers that you have are all fully patched. And the reason for that is uh, just because of timing on things. And in a lot of cases, uh, you'll find, especially business line applications, the software vendors don't do a good job of staying up to date on releasing patches. If you look at the Kaseya incident that occurred recently, in that context, Kaseya had open security vulnerabilities for decades <laughs> and became aware of these vulnerabilities many months prior and had just simply not adequately prioritized the correction of those security vulnerabilities. Now, before I step off of that particular thing, I want to drive home a particular topic that has to do with a way that, or a factor that you need to be considering when you are considering vendor risk management. So vendor risk management is clear. It is critical that this be analyzed effectively. One of the biggest things you have to pay attention to is who owns the company. What is their philosophy? How do they make decisions? What are their priorities? So you can draw some incredibly staunch differences between organizations that are privately held, 
by uh, a an owner or a group of owners who have a <clears throat> philosophical dedication to prioritizing properly, especially when it comes to prioritizing security above other factors such as more sales, more sales, more sales. <clears throat> Ultimately, that is the kind of leadership that you're looking for. Unfortunately, with Kaseya, Kaseya used to be a phenomenal company uh, more than a decade ago, and they would get various technical partners involved in helping them make their products better. But then Kaseya got bought out by some venture capital firms whose entire objective in life is to extract financial value. Right? They're not really that interested in sacrificing sales for an operation that is allocating software developer resources to finding and removing code vulnerabilities or to, in general, make things better. And one of the hallmarks of an incredibly effective company versus one who's just playing around is whether or not that software and hardware manufacturer go and look for their top technical partners and entice them to get involved in ongoing platform improvement processes. Now, there's a key element to this that is usually missed out by most organizations. Most of these hardware and software manufacturers, they look at sales volume. So they'll look at uh, an organization who spends $120,000 a year with them as somehow more qualified to provide technical feedback about how to make the platform better compared to an individual who has you know, $2,000 a year of spending with them. So I just want to be blazingly clear on this topic. The revenue that is earned from a particular customer has no bearing on the efficacy or value of their technical feedback. There's no relationship there whatsoever. I could come up with example after example after example of small, focused, technically oriented firms being in exceptional positions to be able to provide high quality feedback to hardware and software makers and a good company will go and pay attention to those customers or partners instead of just looking at like, oh, well, you're not blowing 120 grand a year with us, so, you know, we're not going to, you must not know anything, right? So that is just a critical decision tree failure, and I think that that is a massive component as to why so many of these organizations fail to be effective on the security side. Because there are those of us that are out there who know what we're doing and know how to secure things and how to fix the issues with these vendors' software and hardware. But when they refuse to create a mechanism 
whereby feedback is solicited and accepted, nothing gets better. I mean, I can tell you, for example, I've had tickets open with uh, Kaseya for over three years that they have sitting there waiting for engineering review. Well, that's just pathetic. <laughs> I mean, I did all the R&D for them and I told them, this is what's wrong. You need to go fix it. Stop doing stupid things. And it sits there waiting for engineering review. And that's because they really have no mechanism and apparently no interest in looking for that kind of uh, data in order to make the product better. So when an organization puts a ton of their effort behind sales and marketing, you know something else is being sacrificed. That's actually one of the reasons why here at QPC we don't have any salespeople. I mean, I really just genuinely do not believe that anyone other than qualified engineers can provide the type of accurate information that uh, someone is needing from a consulting firm in order to effectuate a sale. So usually I find that the salespeople just don't have the, the skill set to be able to speak authoritatively and effectively on something. And so then um, clients or customers are being fed misinformation and it's just a bad idea overall. And then, you know, feelings get hurt. And, you know, so I, I just reject the philosophy entirely that salespeople should exist at consulting firms. But that's me. Um, so let's get back to Print Nightmare. Okay, in Print Nightmare, again, this was a situation where total, complete system takeover was possible. And Microsoft had no patch for it. And then when they did come out with a patch, security researchers identified that, well, you know, the vulnerability is actually still there. There's still this decision tree that could be gone through to where uh, you know individuals could still have their systems compromised uh, because the entire vulnerability is not patched only part of it you know so these vulnerabilities still existed so here's where it comes down to being a real interesting rub and I'm out there I'm, I'm here addressing business decision makers executive management, and internal IT managers here. These issues are the issues that are going to nail you. These are going to be the ones that unless you have a seriously proactive approach to managing rapid response and rapid management of known vulnerabilities, these are the ones that are going to whack you as an organization because the bad guys literally were talking about state-sponsored terrorism here. They're highly capable. They went to school for this. This is their full-time job paid by a nation-state actor to create economic destruction against their foreign adversary. Well, guess what? You're their foreign adversary. So these are not people passively working on these things. We're talking about this is their full-time job. 
This is all they got to do. And they get performance appraisals on it too, I might add. So they're motivated. Okay, This is not a passive interest. This is their full-time job. And any sort of vulnerability that exists, they're going to be looking for it and they're going to be seeking to exploit it. The outcome is, the desired outcome is total economic destruction on you and your business. And in a lot of cases now, the desire is data exfiltration to destroy your company, your reputation, and then to attack your customers. So uh, the approach that I think needs to be taken in this space is one where first and foremost, executive business decision makers need to understand that it is not a realistic expectation that their internal IT department is going to have the expertise or the resources to be able to design mitigations for these things in an effective way in the required time period. And so, I mean, literally in terms of like dev testing things, I'm not aware of any internal IT departments other than those that reside at, you know, extremely large enterprise that has uh, labs. I mean, I could even tell you I've seen posts on Reddit where people who work at Datto, which is a very large organization, they report disgruntlement because of the focus on sales and less of a focus on R&D, their labs were taken away. Now, I can tell you that no small to medium business has funding to maintain a fully functional, production capable, fully vetted and tested lab environment where you could effectively test a scenario before you deploy it into the production environment. And so who's gonna do that for you? Your internal staff isn't gonna do it for you. You don't have the resources and they probably don't have the skill set to do it. So there's also a lot of information that I think a person could be led to believe, oh, I'm gonna be successful. I'm just gonna go out on, you know, Carbon Black and Huntress and, you know, they're just gonna sign up for you know, these various news feeds or I'm going to go out on Reddit and get all these answers. But here's the thing that I can convey to you. People like myself do not post the solutions for these problems. And that is because we are not interested in being the uncompensated R&D department for everyone else. And so if you want to be able to have access to a vetted, tested solution that someone who knows your environment is able to predict the impact and as a result, tailor the implementation of it to your specific needs, that is gonna have to be a pre-existing relationship and an ongoing relationship. 
and you have to communicate to that organization that you're looking for proactive information security officer, proactive security management services. If instead, the expectation is that internal IT is going to handle all of this exclusively on their own, utilizing publicly available resources, you're going to miss out on a lot. If we look just specifically at this print nightmare scenario, I went through all the publicly available things. I talked to a number of individuals I know through back channels. Um, I can tell you that the information security industry is fairly tight and there are a lot of private communications channels, but you've got to be kind of celebrity status to be able to, and, and you have to be very peer reviewed and peer vetted in order to be able to be invited to these channels. And so more often than not, internal IT has no access to those resources because of that. So um, I looked through all the publicly available information and conferred with some other security experts. What I found was that I felt there was not only misinformation, but a lack of effective guidance that was coming from the publicly published information. So I developed our own QPC security protocols for mitigating print nightmare, because that's what it is. It's a mitigation until such time that a full patch is available. One of the things you have to be thinking about is, are you gonna do this in such a way that you're gonna roll this back well, there may be components of it that you choose that that's appropriate to do so. But then while you're doing the dev testing and the development work for the protocol, you have to be thoughtful as to developing the code that will roll back the components that you need to roll back. Now, in my preferred approach, I would prefer to never deploy something that is a security remediation that needs to be rolled back. My preference is to look at the environment and determine what are the appropriate Swiss Army knife artistry methodologies that can be utilized in different ways against different assets in order to effectively mitigate the risk while still facilitating business functionality. And that is a very, very complex thing to accomplish. So what I came up with was a mitigation that was significantly more flexible and effective and thorough than anything that was actually publicly published. And my solution was peer reviewed and uh, it also, uh, by some of the, the peer review comments, were like, wow, this is a really tight mitigation and some things that they hadn't thought of. So that's good feedback. And those of us that have this level of connectivity in the industry have those types of things as a, uh, as a resource. And again, I can pull from opinions of people who have no interest in freely providing information to the global you know, the, the globe. I mean, you have to realize that a lot of this is operational security as well. So if you start publicly posting a ton of information, 
then the bad guys can hypothesize certain things about your operations and could potentially use that against you. So that's also something else that goes through our minds is, you know, what are we really, really willing to disclose here? So you have to realize that that's a factor that contributes to, unless you have a relationship with a managed security services provider like QPC Security, you're not going to have access to that information. And most businesses do not want to utilize their production environment for the purposes of rolling out untested, unvetted solutions because they're very concerned about adverse business impact. I mean, if you've got 50 people who can't do their jobs, uh, that is a very expensive proposition. So there's a lot of factors to consider there. And with regards to IT managers, I would strongly suggest that you find an MSSP that you can count on and have an ongoing relationship with because then this entire mess is not exclusively on your shoulders. And I know that it can be difficult to articulate the value proposition to executive management as to why you need that kind of a support system in place. But in today's world of all of the cybersecurity risk, it's a... Uh, it's extremely difficult anymore to just be an internal IT manager and to even do uh, vendor management. I mean, you're you're doing you're spending so much time doing so many things that it becomes nearly impossible to have an adequate breadth and depth of of expertise that is required to be able to get all of these things done by yourself. So it's just not a realistic expectation. And I know that the IT managers get a ton of pressure put upon them. There's always this pressure by management who says, we don't want to spend the money. Don't want to spend the money. I talk to my friends, we go to dinner and my other business owner friends, they're not spending this much money on IT. I hear this garbage all the time. And I think if you're trying to compare yourself to, if your risk management strategy is, I'm going to compare myself to businesses that are not being properly run, um, I don't think that that's a good strategy. So that isn't actually how risk is managed and how issues are prevented. So I would say reach out. If you're an IT manager, reach out to us. We can help you articulate the value proposition for uh, a relationship that is like a virtual information security officer. We can do the things that uh, you don't want to do and that are not in your wheelhouse. We can make you the hero and we can provide you that support and depth of bench and help take some of this responsibility, you know, share the load so that it's not all on you. And let me talk a little bit further on this particular topic in terms of what I consider to be extremely failed decision-making practices. I've seen this happen for the last 20 years, and I think recently, maybe in the last year, some organizations are starting to have operational maturity to the point where they are realizing that an altered decision-making practice is actually required. So let's describe that. Um, I'm going to use a great example here. So let's say the cybersecurity insurance company reaches out to uh, their customer 
and that that inquiry is sent to either the internal IT person directly or maybe it's sent to the business owner or corporate counsel. So what I typically see that ends up in really, really bad decision-making, and bad decision-making comes from a lack of accurate information. So this bad decision-making that I see is when the managers, whether it's corporate counsel or it's the business owner, they just forward this information to internal IT. Great question is, do you have multi-factor authentication on systems? Okay, so this is the question that is asked. And I can tell you that <laughs> I've seen this happen multiple times where the lack of knowledge on the part of internal IT, the person just responded like, oh yeah, we're fine, we've got all that. Okay. So then that information goes back to corporate counsel and then corporate counsel says, oh yeah, we're good. And then they write off on this insurance attestation form that they've got MFA. Now the problem with that is I guarantee you you're going to get your insurance claims denied because you just lied. You just committed fraud in the eyes of the insurance company. So really the only way that executive management should be making decisions about whether or not you've got something is not based upon somebody's little word of one individual. I don't care who that person is. You need a testable proof. You need an inventory of all systems that everyone authenticates into. And you need a testable proof as to whether or not multi-factor authentication is currently in place on all accounts in every single one of those systems. So one of the ways that you can protect yourself in this area is stop relying upon sending an email to this one person. Get an IT steering committee together. Sure, have internal IT there, but then put me in the meeting too. And you're gonna get a different perspective. When you do that approach, you are much more assured to be having a more complete, accurate understanding about all the factors there may be some contentious debate, but at least you're putting yourself in a position to be making an informed decision. Because let's be fair, most IT, uh, mo most business owners do not have an incredible depth of understanding of the uh, nuances and technicalities that exist in information technology systems, yet, those are the exact same factors that will be deeply scrutinized in any sort of an incident that is actually so severe that you feel you need to get your cybersecurity insurance company involved. If you don't have attestation, if you fraudulently, knowingly or unknowingly, if you did not fill out those assessment forms correctly, accurately, deeply, oh, you're gonna get roasted. I recently talked to my own cybersecurity insurance provider, and the fun part is I was talking to corporate counsel, their corporate counsel, by the way, and 
they they commented in the meeting like, oh, we've seen your, uh, yeah, we looked, we, we took as prep for this meeting, uh, we took a look at the form that, you know, the forms that you filled out as part of your uh, cybersecurity insurance, you know, assessment and your uh, disclosure forms and so forth. And they're like, man, you were really thorough. <laughs> And I'm like, well, because here's the thing. Sometimes I feel like these insurance companies are not asking accurate questions. And so when the question itself is not specific enough, then the answer can be interpreted incorrectly. So you first have to define your terms. And frankly, that is what most contracts exist to do, is to define terms. And anybody who's ever studied contract law understands how critical it is to do appropriate terms definition. So uh, that is also something that we can help you with, is we could review your cybersecurity insurance policy. We can look at your attestation processes, assuming you have any at all. <laughs> One of the other things I found out from corporate counsel at the insurance company was that out of 90 privacy reviews they did uh, last year, only two of which actually passed. <laughs> so let's just say there's a plethora of opportunities for improvement, and these are not areas that it is realistic for you to expect internal IT to be able to take the leadership position of, because they don't have time for this. They don't have the background or the uh, training, and they certainly don't have the time because they're busy doing end-user support. Well, that's it for today. I hope you enjoyed the show.